Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. These are the southern steps outside of Jerusalem. This is the place that we believe Peter came and preached on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to the Father, he told his disciples to go back into the city and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. They went back and they prayed and they fasted and they sought after God and they waited. And then on the day of Pentecost, the celebration feast for the Jews, the Spirit of God blew through the city like a wind. And then the Spirit of God fell on the disciples. The Bible says that it was like tongues of fire, flames lit above their heads. And in that moment, the disciples, in the power of the Spirit of God, came out of the city and came down to these steps, it's believed. And Peter began to preach to the crowds. And the miracle of it all was that when Peter began to speak, the people heard him in their language. And so they were able to, uh, to take the moment to hear Peter preaching, but they could understand him as if he was speaking their language. And, and so in that moment, they ask Peter, and he's preaching the gospel for the first time since Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's talking to them about the fact that they were here. They were witnesses of Jesus being crucified. In fact, they called for his crucifixion. They were in league with Rome to bring Jesus to his death. And that message cut to the heart of the people. And, and they started asking, what do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do? How do we get this blood off of our hands? What do we do to change our course? And Peter stands up and says, you repent and be baptized. Believe in the name of Jesus. This area would have been filled with people. In fact, that simple message, repent and be baptized, believe in the name of Jesus. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day. So this area may have had tens of thousands of people flooding the steps, flooding the streets around, and, and Peter preaches the gospel. And it's received in the hearts of at least 3,000 that day. And then we know from there on out, the Spirit of God continued to move. It's interesting when we think about the Holy Spirit, Jesus actually said it was better for him to leave and go back to heaven than to remain because he was going to send the Spirit, the Comforter, the one who would live inside each and every believer. Jesus was limited to a physical location. The Spirit of God is not limited like that at all. He is with every believer in every culture for every time. And so when we see in our own lives the belief that comes in Jesus, when we're baptized into his family, when we receive him, he gives us his spirit as a deposit in our lives, guaranteeing the salvation and the future with him in heaven that's to come. It's the power of the spirit. He changes things. And it all began here. When the Spirit of God fell, the church was born. And then every day after that, the church continued to grow and to multiply. All because of the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's power. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. 
lives inside of us. He lives inside of you. And he brings life to you every single day to live out the life of Christ. It is Pentecost today, and uh, as a church, for the last 10 days, we've been praying together and doing the same thing that Jesus instructed his disciples to do between the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven and the day of Pentecost on the Jewish calendar. There were 10 days that separated those two events, and so Jesus had sent his disciples back into the city and told them to wait and pray that a comforter would come for them, a power from him would come, and so as they prayed and as we have prayed as a church, we've been asking God to do incredible things things in our lives personally and in our church corporately that would be unimaginable and unexplainable outside of a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been asking God to send his spirit and pour out his spirit on us in new and powerful ways. And so for me, I just believe that when God has our full attention and our allegiance, we can be used by him for his kingdom's purposes in ways that we could never imagine outside of his power. And so we want to be people who are controlled by the Spirit of God, who are given into the Spirit of God, and that we want to understand what that means. And so when you think about Acts in the beginning of the church, I want to read this passage to you this morning from Acts chapter 2, and it just explains what we just saw on the video. And by the way, if you're interested in going and standing on the southern steps in Israel, we're going to be taking a trip as a church next year, and you have the opportunity to join in with us. There's going to be an information meeting briefly right after this service on this side of the room this morning. So if you'd like to hear about a way that you can go and be in that place, come and see me right after the service, all right? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and let's check out this passage. We're going to read the first 21 verses together, and here's what we find. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Where do you think this is? A college town? <laughs> Peter didn't say that. I just added that part in. All right. Verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. And then Peter's going to go on in the following verses and proclaim the message of Jesus as the Messiah, that he is the one who comes in the name of God and who comes to, uh, to save us from our sins. He talks about the difference between David, who was a, a forerunner of the Messiah, an example of a Messiah for the Jewish people, but David had stayed dead in his tomb after his death. Jesus, on the other hand, was raised to life from the dead because he is the Son of God. He is God in flesh. And so as the people hear this message and realize that they have had a part in crucifying the Son of God and in crucifying their Messiah, the question is asked, well, what do we have to do to be saved? And Peter goes, you've got to repent and be baptized. You need to come into God's family. Turn your life around. Go in a different direction than you have before. Change your heart and change your mind. And follow in the steps of Jesus. And so there are people who then come in to this belief in that day. And we see from the church, uh, from the birth of the church, the Spirit of God coming in power and bringing life to the church. 3,000 people on this day become followers of Jesus. And in the days to come, it just continues to multiply. First 5,000, then 10,000, and it just continues to grow. And Christianity sweeps across the Roman Empire. Because the power of God is displayed in the lives of the disciples. And so here's what we see. When the Holy Spirit makes his entrance, we see some powerful and unique things happen. As you read in that passage, there's a violent wind that blows through the city. The people all over the city hear it. But the wind settles in the room where the disciples have been praying for 10 days. Like this, this wind that moves into a, a place and then there are these tongues of fire, that things that look like or seem like tongues of fire that rest above each of the disciples as they're praying. Then the disciples begin to speak in tongues. And in this instance, we see two different things that are kind of happening here. On some level, there are people who are hearing their native language, even as the disciples are speaking in their native tongue. And then there's other opportunities and times where we see that as the disciples are talking, they're speaking in different languages. The Holy Spirit is not limited to what we're capable of doing. He gives them power to do uh, what only he can do in order to get the message of God across to all of his people. And so the people are changed in heart, and this gives them the opportunity to hear and understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is about. And because of what the Holy Spirit does and the power that he brings into the life of the disciples, this is one of the topics that brings a lot of division into the Christianity. Right? And so when you think about this, and maybe some of you, as you've known for several weeks now that we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, that might have raised a little bit of concern for you, <laughs> going, okay, what does that mean? What are we going to talk about? Like, where's he going? Wow, how crazy is this going to get? Because some of you have seen examples of just like crazy things on the side of the Holy Spirit. And others of you have just gone, you know what, let's just ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. Like, we're going to treat the Holy Spirit like he's the crazy uncle at Christmas that we're just going to, we know he's there, but we're going to pretend like he doesn't exist and we're not going to talk to him, right? And so we're just going to avoid him because you never know what he's going to do. And others of us are more along the tradition in the lines of going, man, I, I am in league with the Holy Spirit. I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see the movement of the Holy Spirit. I know that there are things that the Holy Spirit does that is crazy and intense and powerful, just like we see here in the book of Acts. And I am all for that kind of movement of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, we go, there is an emotional attachment that's driven, and it changes how we lose control of ourselves to give over control of the Holy Spirit. And so when you see these two sides somewhere in the middle... I think is really the reality of how we're supposed to interact and engage with the Holy Spirit of God and to have a relationship with him. 
And so if there's some discomfort this morning, because as I go through this series, some of you are going to be like, man, you went too far with this Holy Spirit thing and how we're supposed to live in a relationship with him and what he has power and permission to do in our lives. It's too far, Pastor. And then others of you are going to be like, well, you didn't go nearly far enough, man. Like there is more to be had with the power of the Holy Spirit. And can't you just like get us all in league with the Spirit so that we are just speaking in tongues and healing people and doing miracles and all kinds of crazies? Like that's the direction we want to go. And so some of you are going to look at me and go, you didn't go far enough. Some of you are going to go, you went too far. And we're going to just kind of fill out things in this series to go, let's go back to Scripture and let's really look and see what the Spirit of God does. That's what we want to do. We don't want to be uh, kind of based in our upbringings or in our, our faith that traditions that we've been raised in. We want to go to Scripture and say, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Him and how He moves and acts? All right? So that's going to be the goal of this series. I want to give us two things that we're going to try to do in this series, and these are going to come up on the screen for you to see so we can follow along. Or if you're taking notes in our app, you can see these. In this series, we want to do these two things. One gain a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives as believers of Jesus. All right, so we want to have this biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. Number two, we want to learn how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, and so when we think about that, it doesn't do us any good to understand who the Holy Spirit is if we're not going to have a relationship with him, that we're not going to have fellowship with him. And so typically when I in, uh, interview people for our staff team and when I'm thinking about bringing people uh, to be a part of ministry and serving in this church, there's uh, one particular question that I ask that has three parts. And I'll sit down with somebody and I'll say, hey, tell me about your relationship with God the Father. How do you interact with God the Father? Then I'll say, hey, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. What does it look like for you to be in relationship with Jesus? And then I'll go, hey, lastly, tell me about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for you to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit? And in most of my interviews, when I ask that question, I'll get great answers about God the Father. Oh, man, I just love God, and I, I commune with him, and I fellowship with him, and I, I talk with him, and there's conversation and prayer, and, and I read his word, and I hear from God the Father. I am like have this relationship with the Father. And Jesus, the Son, like he's my Savior, and I have this relationship with him, and I know how to obey him and listen to his voice, and he's my shepherd, and, and I get in his word, and I pray to Jesus. And then when I ask that question, well, tell me about your relationship with the Holy Spirit, a lot of times I'll get man, I have never thought about my relationship with the Holy Spirit before. I've never considered what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And isn't that strange? Because the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see in just a few minutes, is God. And yet, a lot of us may not know that we're invited to have a relationship with Him, to fellowship with Him, to engage with Him, to talk to Him, to be changed by Him to follow him, to listen to him. And so that's what we really want to understand this morning is what it looks like to lay a groundwork for how to know the Holy Spirit and how to have a relationship with him as he's revealed to us. So this morning, we're just going to introduce this topic. We're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture today as much as we can in the time that we have. And then beginning next week, we're going to settle in to more of one passage of Scripture that we're going to break down into three parts. So if you want to be reading in Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be going for the next several weeks as kind of our ground text. And then we'll be bouncing around from different places. But here's the first thing that I want us to see and understand this morning about the Holy Spirit. And if you're taking notes today, these are going to be important things for you to follow along with, either on the app or writing some things down. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person not a force. 
And so when we think about that, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a person, not a human person, a divine person. Right? And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, he's not a force or a power or a thing, right? Like you don't have a relationship with something that's a force. And some of us have this kind of thought process because we watch a lot of movies in our culture that the Holy Spirit is like the force in Star Wars. And we're just like, whatever we do to wield the force and to make it bend to our will and to do our thing and I can force push stuff or lift things, like that's not at all what we're talking about when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He's not a force to be controlled. Electricity is a force that we can control. We can make it do what we want, but we can't have a relationship with electricity. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a thing. He's a person. He is a divine person. So we have a relationship with him. And here's some things that we find about this relationship and what he's like. He has a mind and an intellect. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So there is this intellect and this mind that the Holy Spirit has that he gives divine wisdom and revelation to us. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Because he has a mind, he has intellect. Here's B, he has emotions, and feelings. Ephesians 4:30 says, "And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Right? He has emotions, he has feelings. We can grieve him. We're going to be talking about that more as the series goes along. That we can have the ability and the capacity to bring grief to the Holy Spirit because he feels. He has emotion like we do. And so he is a person in that way. Number 3 is he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, all these are the work of one in the same spirit and he gives to them each one just as he determines. So we're talking about spiritual gifts in that passage like we'll be sharing about and talking about in J-term coming up in June. And as we think about the gifts that the spirit of God gives to his people, Corinthians says that the gifts of the spirit he gives to people as he determines. That the Spirit has the ability to choose for you individually. Here's a gift I'm going to give to you. Here's something that the Father has given me permission to give to you, to enable you to serve in his kingdom and to make himself known and to be empowered to serve in the kingdom of Christ. And so there is a will that the Holy Spirit has. Here's then the second thing that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like I said earlier, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is part of the Trinity. And so God exists as a Trinity. The word triune means three in oneness. So when we talk about God being a Trinity, we see the different ways that God is talked about in that in Scripture. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right, so the Jewish people lived with this monotheistic idea that the Lord is one. And so then we see as we continue to read in Scripture and as we continue to see the revelation of God that that oneness has three divine people who are living in relationship with one another as one God in three people. And so here's what we would see. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Acts 2.36 says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So 
God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. And then Acts 5, 3, and 4 says, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you as you sold it? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. So in the beginning of that passage, he says, Ananias, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the passage, he says, you lied to God. He's equating those two things together. He's going, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is God. God the Father, the Creator, is God. Right. So we have these three unique people who are living in relationship with one another. And this is one of the great mysteries of our faith, right? When we start to talk about this idea of a Trinitarian God, we go, I just cannot wrap my mind around that. And it doesn't matter how we try to explain it. It doesn't matter what we try to do to put that into context. It's always going to fall short. And I think that's a beautiful picture for us as Christians as to why God deserves to be worshipped. If we could fully understand him, he would, seek to, he would uh, stop being God, cease to be God. But because he is someone who is outside of our understanding fully, we worship him. We can't fully grasp or comprehend him, but he is one God with three distinct persons. So this mystery of our faith is really highlighted in a sense in the very first verse of the Bible. When you read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. The name for God there is Elohim. And Elohim is plural in form, but understood in a singular sense. And that's kind of crazy, right? Like we don't have a lot of words that we would go, that's plural in form, but understood in a singular sense. But when it comes to God, when we go in the beginning, Elohim, plural in form, but singular in its function, that Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And so we see this play out in verses 26 and 27. When God is getting to the end of his creation, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God is one. Yet he is three distinct persons. And so when God is talking within the Trinitarian existence of himself, he says, let us make man in our image. The Father is talking to the Son and the Spirit. And so there's this powerful idea that's there that God is one, yet three distinct persons. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they all share the same attributes. But they do so in different ways. They're distinct persons, so they express those attributes differently. And so here's what I mean by that. When we think about attributes, uh, and you might think about this, the best way I can kind of put it in some terms for us uh, is communicable and non-communicable. So that when we hear those terms, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Diseases, right? And you're going to go, the things that we can share are communicable. The things that we don't share are non-communicable, right? The same thing is true with God. Here are just a few things that we think about. When it comes to God's communicable attributes, when he says, let us make man in our image, do we look like God? Does God have a physical image, a physical representation? No, he's spirit. So when he says, let's make man in our image, he doesn't say, let's make all the people to look like us physically. He's going, I want to share attributes of myself with them. What do I have that they'll have that they'll share? They're going to have the capacity to love to show mercy, to experience grace. There are these attributes of God that we share, joy, 
all the things that we share with God are communicable attributes. But then there are also things that are called non-communicable attributes of God that he goes, you're not going to have these because these are unique to me. So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows all things of all time. So these different kinds of things that God would say, you're going to have certain attributes that you share with me. You're going to have certain attributes, or I'm going to have certain attributes that I do not share with you. You're not going to have all power. You're not going to have all knowledge. You're not going to have all understanding. You're not going to have all of these different things. And so when we think about these non-communicable attributes, that's what we see in God. And the Holy Spirit shares all the same attributes of God because he is God. So when you think about the Spirit, you go, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in all places at one time. He is God, right? And so here's the next thing that I want you to see on your outline. The Holy Spirit is active in both the Old and the New Testament. Some people have this idea as you read through Scripture that you go, man, the Holy Spirit kind of shows up on this day of Pentecost, and that's the first time we really see him. If you've never really read through the Old Testament of the Bible, you might think that this is the place where the Holy Spirit comes onto the scene, and it's the first time we've ever seen an expression of him. But that's not true. If you go back and you really read through the Old Testament, you're going to see the Holy Spirit show up, but he's going to act in different ways in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. And so I just want to share a few things with you as we think about that, and I'd encourage you to read a lot of scripture this week as you're kind of studying this for yourself. But in Exodus chapter 31, for the first time, God places his spirit on a man. His name is Bezalel. And this guy, when God says, hey, I've released the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, I've brought them out into the wilderness, I want to have a place that I dwell with them. And what's the structure that they create that God says, I want you to do this? It's a tabernacle. And when they're creating the tabernacle, God tells Moses, I'm going to put my spirit on this man to be able to inform and instruct and build the tabernacle. It's for a limited person, for a limited space and time. All right, then we're going to move on in Scripture, and we're going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that the people ask God for a king to rule over them. Saul is chosen to become king of Israel, and when Samuel anoints him, the Spirit of God comes on Saul. And in that person, for a specific period of time, the Holy Spirit of God is given to a man to lead his people. But what we're going to find later is that Saul is going to displease God. He's going to go against God. He's going to break covenant with God. And God's going to remove his spirit from Saul. And what's going to happen next? He's going to put his spirit on David, right? Another person for a limited period of time. And David moves and acts in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not everyone has the spirit, but God gives his spirit as he sees fit to a person for a period of time. And that's how things continue to act as we go through the Old Testament. Then we move to the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit serves a different purpose. He has a different function in the New Testament. Rather than being given to a specific person for a limited time to accomplish a certain task, the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. And when Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says, it's good for me to go away, because when I leave and go away, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to fall on all believers. And so we're going to see more of that when we look at Romans chapter 8 next week. But here's where I want to start drawing things to a close today as we're introducing this idea of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you just a few last things before we close up. Number one, if we have knowledge of the Holy Spirit but no relationship with the Holy Spirit, we're missing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
If we're going to have knowledge of him, but we're not going to bother to try to establish relationship with him, we're going to miss out on the power that he gives into our lives. And so we really want to work on establishing this relationship. And so here's what I want us to see. There are things that we gain from the Holy Spirit and this relationship that we have with him. And so if you will, take a look at these last few passages of Scripture with me. Number one, we receive fellowship from the Holy Spirit. So we gain intimacy. Like we're going to gain intimacy from him. And so here's what we find in, 1 Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He says there's fellowship to be had here. We get intimacy. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He's with us. He's near to us. He's in us. So we have fellowship with him. There's intimacy that's available there. Church is not just a place to go and learn about God. Church is a place for brothers and sisters in Christ to meet with the living God who's available to us. Like When we come here, we're not just going, all right, I want to walk away with more knowledge. It's like a classroom. Teach me something from the Bible. We're going, we've gathered here today to fellowship with one another. We've gathered here today around the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, around the presence of God in our lives to say, bring us into this place to live and commune with God. It's a place of communing to experience God's grace, God's love, and God's fellowship with all of his people together. That's the purpose of our gathering, is we come around each other and we fellowship in the Spirit together. We receive power from the Spirit together. There's intimacy that's involved. Then here's the next thing we see. We receive counsel from the Holy Spirit. We gain an advocate. That we get this counsel from the Spirit. John 16, verses 7 through 15 says, But very truly I tell you, it's good that I'm going away. This is Jesus talking. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because this, the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say, more than you can even bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will you receive from me uh, what he will make known to you. So why did Jesus say in John 16 it was good for him to go away? Well, he's going to answer that in John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus says, listen, I have to leave from here because in, in my physical state, in my physical form, I cannot be with you forever. And I can't be everywhere around the world at once. He limited himself in his human form. But he said, but if I go away, I will ask the Father who will send you another advocate. And he will be with you always. And he will be with you everywhere. There's nowhere that you run that you escape from his presence. There's nowhere that you can go that you don't have his power available to you. Because he's with you. He's in you. He resides and dwells with you. And then here's the last thing that we have. We gain and we receive prayer. We gain an intercessor. 
So I'm going to ask our band to come back up. We're going to sing one last song together this morning as we close up, and we're going to pray together in just a minute in a different way this morning. But here's what we see. We gain an intercessor. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 say, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so for us this morning, church, this is my prayer for us as we kind of go through this series and my hope for us is that we'll take time to read Scripture and explore the passages that reveal the Holy Spirit and then make him known. That we'll do the work of digging in. What does the Bible really say about the Holy Spirit? What do we really want to have when it comes to relationship with him? How do we grow in that intimacy and knowledge and awareness of him? How do we gain these things where we understand more fully what he is here to do with us and for us? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.